Hi, everyone. I want to welcome our guest speaker tonight, Gavin McGregor Skinner, to our show. And, and Gavin's been on before, and I really enjoy when he's here as a, a speaker. And when we ask him questions, we get a lot of information back. Gavin is a talker. I think we can go that way. And it's it's a tremendous amount of info that he comes across with. So we've had a lot of very positive uh, responses from our membership in the past when he's been on. So I want to bring Gavin in, have you say a quick hello. And Gavin, you are the Senior Director of GBAC, which is the Division of ISSA. Can you at least tell us exactly what that is so we know going forward what we're doing here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure can, Lance. Hi, everyone. Um, so the GBAC, the Global Biorisk Advisory Council, is a division of ISSA. Uh, we have a an accreditation program, which is a, based on 20 elements. It's very comprehensive, very holistic in its approach in not just setting up a, a, a yes or no or a pass or fail type program. The program that we have out, which is called our GBAC STAR program uh, for both facilities and also, you know, anyone who works in the cleaning industry, is about professional improvement. So continuous professional improvement. So we once we do get a baseline, we work with facilities, we work with companies, we work with individuals on developing then a plan on how to improve over time that's realistic and doable. My understanding is that's dealing with larger projects. I mean, I'm sure you do small ones too, but we're talking airports, hospitals, colleges, things like that. Oh, we are, Lance. And what's fascinating for me, um, sort of as a, an infectious disease expert, I, you know, I worked for the US government as an epidemiologist, which is like a disease detective, being able to do a very deep dive, understand how is an airport, a convention center, how is a hotel, for example, even a school cleaned in a way that creates um, an environment that protects human health has been fascinating. And to really, what our GBAC STAR program with the 20 elements does is that deep dive in understanding what are your protocols, uh, procedures, what equipment are you using? How can we help you with uh, to do it better, save money? I know time is our biggest uh, risk factor when it comes to cleaning anything that's in the built environment. So being able to do a really you know, thorough deep dive analysis um, and work with these organizations like these airports, convention centers, and hotels has been absolutely fascinating. I've learned so much. You know, I, I've talked with you before about this, and I think in one of our previous uh, interviews, you uh, alluded to this also, that these larger facilities actually are almost like a, a living entity onto themselves. They have their own personalities. They have their own specific problems, where an airport may have a problem because of the type of flights they have compared to a hospital that is expanded over 8, 10, 12 city blocks. I mean, can you touch a little bit about some of the specific issues on a few of these? Yes, Lance. The, the size of uh, an airport, um, a convention center, even the size of the hotels that we work in, uh, work with, the, the size of the schools, I just, when, you, when you, you map it out by square footage, it's enormous. But when you map it out by users, users of that built environment. So that's, that's both the workers, the employees, as well as the people that come in and out of those buildings on a daily basis. We're looking at some really significant, you know, big numbers, which leads to risk. And for me to sit down and work with an airport, a convention center, a hotel or a school and go, right, how many people come into your, you know, your, your, your indoor space every day? And I get a number. How many people work in your indoor space uh, every day? Okay, how many of those areas within that that environment, that built environment, are 
maybe reservoirs or or risk or hazards for infectious diseases, for germs to, to, to thrive and survive. And we map that out on a floor plan. And by looking at that, we're looking at some really big issues here when it comes to, okay, so we know everyone wants to come into an airport, a hotel, convention center and go, oh, look, it, 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 it smells clean, it looks clean, it's, it's clean for appearance. But what we really want to do is change that paradigm, help these organizations to understand that they can clean for health and they can then market what they're doing by both by what they do by, by their, their processes and their operations, that they're actually protecting human health. And that's protecting human health of any user, not just the employees, but also the users. Anyone that comes into that environment should feel safe and confident. You know, we make a distinction uh, when we talk with our members or we, we teach classes that we don't fix people, we fix buildings. But I think the side effect of fixing the buildings is what helps fix people. It does, Lance, and, and I think what we've seen, um, and I like the conversations where you know, that Normie's been uh, having you know, with many of their stakeholders, as well as with ISSA and with the GBAC team, is how do we create a workforce development program that will focus on cleaning for health as a sustainable um, uh, part of the industry that we do every day. It's what, what we're responsible for. It's, it's, it's going to be what, our, our, what we're going to be measured against, is cleaning for health, and ensuring that Every cleaning professional, the, the challenge we have in the clean industry is that there are many people within the industry that have many different terms of what they do or how they do it. But let's create a whole, a big umbrella that if you work in the cleaning industry, you're, a, you're an essential cleaning professional. And how do we, how do we work towards a workforce development program that provides the necessary, I suppose, knowledge, skills, and abilities so that everyone understands what the hazards are, they can identify risk, but then they understand what needs to be clean and disinfected. And then most importantly, Lance, how often they need to do that. And that's still the question that we get um, at ISSA, especially through the GBAC team from so many service providers as well as facilities, how often should I be doing it? And that's something we really want to correct as we move into 2023. Get those training programs out there, get that education material out there that focuses on how often, and more importantly, again, it goes back to: Are you what you're doing? Is it is, is it best for the environment, and is it the best that you're focusing on? Um, you know, sort of science, evidence-based procedures for cleaning for health, and can you tell that cleaning story? And that's so so important. We want everyone by the end of 2023 be able to tell their cleaning story and justify what they do and how they do it, and that's going to lead to to more business opportunities. You know, I've, I've heard you use the term uh, built environments, and, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about that, and I'd like you to explain what you mean by that, but what's the next big thing coming up with some of these big programs and stuff you have under built environments? Oh, I think it, it goes back, this is a great discussion. Um, when we, we'll use certain terms, you know, cleaning for health is one big term that 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 we're all working on to ensure that it's it's appropriately defined. But within the built environment, Lance, this is this is anything that is not natural. It's any any space that's actually been built by humans, by people, and we should be focusing on cleaning for health um, within trains, planes, cars. Um, any built, any indoor space, anything that we occupy, because you know we we know that you know so many studies have shown us that we spend about ninety percent of our day in the built environment. That's indoors, which is really interesting, Lance. Because if you if you lived to eighty years old 
and you spent 90% of your time in the built environment or indoors, it really means you've spent 72 years, 72 years of your 80 years of life inside. And we want to ensure that you know, there's so much emphasis on health and safety. We want to ensure that everyone understands that um, there are places where you find germs um, in buildings, in other areas, and we call those reservoirs. But how do you identify those reservoirs? One, one thing that we heard from the COVID-19 pandemic was, oh, you know, frequently clean and disinfect those high touch surfaces. But then when you went and asked people, what are those high touch surfaces where you work? We got many, many different answers. What we weren't consistent. So let's let's let let's let's transition. Let's evolve. Let's move on and and be better by focusing on those reservoirs within the built environment. And again, we know there that's water and wet surfaces, dry surfaces, uh, dirt and dust, any equipment that we use or touch, and 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 especially air. And these are all the areas where germs can survive and lead to infection. And let's focus on those reservoirs and move that forward as being our main focus to come up with solutions that work, that are affordable as we clean for health. You know, as far as you said, 72 years, you know, inside, you know, living to 90 or 80. It was 80, 80 years old, Lance. 80 years old. Man, just threw me with that. And then you think about the average person takes 20,000 breaths a day times 365 days a year times 72 years. That's a lot of indoor breathing. And indoor air quality as the big umbrella shows the importance there of how much exposure people really have in those environments and cleaning with healthier products, cleaning the right way. I mean, how does a cleaning professional explain to their customer about what needs to be cleaned, where the things hide that need to be cleaned and how to do them safely? Oh, I, I, I think what you've just set up here for us, Lance, what you've just stated, you know, the fact that we're talking about some significant time, 72 years out of 80 years that, you know, we spend indoors. That's 90% of the day we, we're spending indoors. It's really important for the, you know, any essential cleaning professional to understand that what are, what are, what are those other risks, other hazards out there? And again, let, let's look at these, some of these numbers. And I think it's important that we understand these numbers and we're able to convey those numbers within the workers that we work with, but also the stakeholders, the people, our customers. So let's think about this. A cough produces about approximately 3,000 droplets. And a sneeze releases about 40,000 droplets. But what does that mean? Well, we know that each droplet, that's one droplet, can, can contain as many as 200 million virus particles. So do the math there. 3,000 times 200 million, 40,000 times 200 million. You're talking about a lot of virus particles through one cough, one sneeze. Now, what we also know, Lance, is that those particles from a cough can travel up to six feet. Uh, particles, these, these droplets can from a sneeze can travel up to 26 feet. Uh, we know that breathing, and we saw this with COVID, you know, the outbreak that happened down at Utah with the choir, the singing of the people, expelling droplets out of their mouth. We know that just breathing can expel droplets up to three feet. So people within the cleaning industry, we need to know, be able to define these risks, these hazards. But also we know a toilet flush. So if we flush a toilet lance without closing the lid, the thousands of droplets that come out of the toilet can travel up to eight feet away. Um, 
Now, we can translate that to what does it mean for human health? How do we translate that to protecting human health? Well, a person can be infected with a viral disease. It might be COVID-19, it might be flu, it might be a rhinovirus, um, an adenovirus, it might be other viruses, but with as little as a thousand virus particles. So when, uh, with as little as a thousand infectious virus particles can infect a person and make them sick. And so look, just look at what we do. So we've really got to be really together as a team here by understanding that cleaning services, cleaning the air is one of our key defenses in the battle against infectious diseases, but also that includes, we've got to add on allergies and we've also got to talk about exposure to harmful, harmful contaminants. So it's really important that we're, we, that all of us understand the risk in those, in these built environments, the risk where we work, the risk where we, where we, when we go out outside our house and be able to explain that in those sort of numbers. So people go, that justifies why I'm paying you for what you do, but more importantly, why it takes you so long to clean for health in a way that's again science-based and evidence-based and it's effective so what would you say is the things that a cleaning professional would need to know to protect themselves and the public or their employees about germs basically we'll call it germs viruses bacteria mold whatever uh, microbial contaminants in a environment i think they first of all we need to understand this reservoirs and these reservoirs are places on or in our bodies, ourselves, or the reservoirs or these are places in the built environment where germs can live and thrive. And for germs to spread, they have to spread between and among these reservoirs. So if we looked at the human body, there's four reservoirs. There's the skin. Um, there's the gastrointestinal system or gut. There's a respiratory system. And then there's blood and fluids from our body. And, and I want everyone to, to, to understand that when we talk about blood and fluids, it, think about anything that, that's wet from a person's body can actually have germs in it. And, and we, we focus so much, Lance, on blood. I want people to understand that for blood from a healthy person, blood should not have germs in it. It shouldn't be infectious. It should be sterile. Blood has germs in it when you get blood from a person who has a disease or has has an has some sort of infection. And so we 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 look at blood as being different. But most of the time, when blood comes from a person's body, it doesn't carry infectious diseases. So we've got to understand it's blood and fluid. So anything that's wet. Now within the built environment, we're talking about these reservoirs, and we know that there are these reservoirs are environments where germs can again thrive and survive water and wet surfaces anywhere dry surfaces dirt and dust equipment and then again we need to do more focus on the air which is what uh, again a lot of the normie programs are addressing right now so it's it's un, it's it's important we understand those reservoirs then we need to know the pathways and there are really four main pathways that germs can spread uh, touch we know they can spread when we breathe them in we know that Germs can spread when we when they when we are exposed to splashes and sprays, but also through cuts and abrasions. So you know we have breaks in the skin here, Lance, that can bypass or break down the body's natural defense uh, systems. And it's important that all cleaning professionals understand that there are reservoirs and then there are pathways. And so they should be you know they, everyone should be striving now to be trained on what those reservoirs are, what those pathways are. 
and then they should be able to explain they are trained. And, and, and so I want cleaning professionals to be able to explain, I'm a trained professional. I know there are reservoirs and pathways. I know I have tools and processes to address how to clean and disinfect uh, those surfaces that are, I've judged to be high risk. And I, and I understand that what I'm doing, I can also use to, tools to enable the scientific measurement of cleanliness. And one of the first steps we're doing right now, Lance, again, is bringing a team of master trainers, which you're involved in as well, um, and uh, together to try to develop under a sort of an umbrella of workforce development, what are those key critical core competencies, the, the skills, um, the attitudes, the abilities, the knowledge, what, are, what is it every person in the clean industry needs to understand to ensure that what we do is doing the best, the best way that we do it to protect human health? Yeah, I want to talk to you about the uh, workforce development in a minute. I just want to back up for a second to the previous discussion that we were just having. You know, you mentioned there's four reservoirs or four types of reservoirs, basically. But from my experience in the past working for the government and doing a lot of other programs with emergency services, we're always taught about bloodborne pathogens. But that's where it stops, unless you get training in hazmat or something like that. You know, as an expert in the industry, what would you like to see next, you know, training wise and for these people that are only taught about bloodborne pathogens? Yeah, it's it's really important. Um, the bloodborne pathogens served its purpose um, when we when that training was required. We had uh, HIV, um, we had hepatitis uh, and other diseases. We're still concerned about those those pathogens today, those diseases today. But, but more importantly, I want people to focus on that anything that's wet from a person's body can actually have germs or infectious disease agents in them. And, and let's move away from, you know, I, everyone needs to understand, I've said before, Lance, blood is really sterile. Um, blood from a person that doesn't have a disease, doesn't have an infection, um, is not a threat in itself unless it, uh, unless it, you know, it comes from someone who is infected. But the problem is we don't know that. We don't have that information when we, we go to clean up a spill, for example, on a floor or on a door handle or on another object in a, in a, in a, in a room that's covered in blood. We don't know where it came from. We don't know what the underlying conditions were of the person that, that where that blood actually originated from. So it's really important. We still have to carry out all those precautions for blood because it's just an unknown. But more importantly, we need to expand our knowledge base, understand that we need to expand our training to understand that blood and fluids, that's anything that's wet from a person's body, is a real risk for spreading infectious disease agents or pathogens. And, and, and focus on that um, and move away from, oh, it's not, it, 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 it's, 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 a, it's a sneeze, it's a cough, it's urine, it's somewhere, it's diarrhea, it's vomit. No, they, these are all, for me, as an infectious disease expert, are high risk. And we really should be training everyone in the clean industry to focus on those high risk um, fluids. Um, and there's probably at least 11 of them that come from the body. And uh, that's, you know, and again, move away from that conversation. I, I agree with you, Lance. Too much of what we're doing now is, is around that conversation, of just blood, but let's go back to anything that's wet that comes out of the body. You know, you mentioned in uh, some prior discussions that we had about an incident where somebody had vomited on carpeting. And then as it dried, it was vacuumed up, which created a huge airborne contamination issue. And people were getting really sick from that. Again, now we're not dealing with bloodborne pathogens. Now we're dealing with aerosolized, you know, things from something that dried, trying to clean that up. 
And if you don't do it properly, I think that's where the lack of education is really becoming a big problem in this industry. And it's and it's more likely for any essential cleaning professional to be exposed to vomit, diarrhea, sweat, uh, sneezes, coughs, um, other other flu, other wet substances from the body than blood. You know, it's 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 we don't deal with blood every day. What we deal with every day is all these other wet substances that come from bodies and then and land on surfaces. And the potential there is something that we've. I think in a way we've minimalized the risk. We need, need to go back and do our proper hazard identification then a risk assessment based on here's a very overcrowded room. Is there anything that's wet that came out of a person's body? And if it did, where did it land? And what are the necessary, um, again, cleaning products, disinfectants, or even the, the equipment I need to do to use, including personal protective equipment to, to ensure that what I do in the workplace is done safely and in that mindset is is there. It's there in, in a number of organizations I work with on a day-to-day basis. It's not, I wouldn't say it's everywhere, but I'd like to see by the end of 2023 at least, Lance, that way of identifying hazards, doing a risk assessment, and then understanding that that they are the risk that we have to focus on. Um, you know, even though when these surfaces appear clean, they still might have germs that are invisible, we can't detect. That we have to then clean for health in a way that's safe um, for the again the cleaning professional, but also safe and healthy for the environment as well. So we don't damage. We 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 just don't want to damage stuff as well. That's that's the other 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 area that we need to focus on. You know, I recently uh, was in the hospital, part of the volunteer work and stuff. I still do. I get involved with that. But with all the education and information coming out now, it's like at least the younger doctors. I'm seeing this in more are looking at the industry with a new set of eyes. They're, they're learning, they're recognizing different problems. I, I actually watched a doctor in the emergency room go from patient to patient, but stop after each patient and spray a sanitizing agent on their stethoscope, wipe it down, and then go to the next patient. You never saw that years ago. They were just stethoscope, patient to patient to patient. I, I, we're seeing that across so many different verticals um, uh, throughout the industry as well, Lance. I think we're seeing um, now whether it's been whether people have been formally trained. Um, in some cases, yes; in some cases, no. But we're seeing that workers now uh, are giving adequate time. Um, they're being equipped with the best tools and products um, and processes to deliver a clean, healthy, and safe again built environment. They're they're doing things that are um, evidence based. Um, they're using objective measurements of air, water, and surfaces uh, to ensure that what they're doing actually works. And then they're being able to use, you know, through measurement, those metrics to show what they did actually works. And I think this is the area that we really want to piggyback on. We really want to leverage and, and take this to scale to ensure that, yeah, we saw a few things change over the last couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic. How do we get it? How do we institutionalize that? And become part of our culture. How do we, you know, what what's the education and training that's required that we can use you know, different case studies, different examples to go to scale? And and I think that's is really important, Lance. You know, again, we've seen mistakes and we've we've learned from mistakes. But how would we be more um, sort of preventive in the way that we can actually justify what we did is based on science and evidence? It's a best practice. And we're ensuring that what we do, we're doing it frequently enough to ensure that everything is clean and is safe 
in a way that we as trained professionals should be recognized for. So um, I think it's important that that all of us work together across our different uh, verticals and, and, and different stakeholders that we've got to engage to engage them in a way that let's be intentional. Let's be intentional about measuring the important factors for cleanliness. And let's ensure that that measurement is a key to process improvement. All right. A little, little while ago, you had mentioned about workforce development. And, and I want to get back to that because you also talked about scale. And I know you got some pretty big visions out there, you know, about how many people you actually want to train. I'll let you throw the number out. I'm not going to do it. But part of that also deals with grant funding that you've been working with. I don't know if you, you feel that you can talk about that right now. Yeah, yes, we can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is really important. This is this is this is really important. Uh, Lance, you know, just recently we came down to uh, um, the Normie facilities uh, in Florida and we conducted a, a two-day workshop on curriculum development with nearly what, 20 master trainers. And this is a, a really critical first step. And in, in my career um, that I've worked with both, you know, government and non-government, I've been involved in some really big programs where we've aimed for some, you know, training um and you know, education of really some significant numbers and so if you let, let's let's reflect how many people do we think just in the us is involved in the cleaning industry and i think from discussions we have with the us department of labor um, both at the federal and state levels you know we don't know exactly but we think there's about probably five million um, workers in the cleaning industry that uh, work on the front lines and so one of the things that I'd like to throw out there, Lance, is if there's 5 million essential cleaning professionals in the US, could we train a million in a year? That's 20%. Could we train 20% of the workforce? Um, train 1 million people every year in a way that helps them maintain a balanced ecosystem within the built environment, again, by using the right products in the right place at the right time. And I think... You know, I say in a consortium um, with Normie, with Shore Industries, uh, with CPI. So we've got, you know, Doug Hoffman, we've got you, Lance. We've got Dave Murrah over at CPI. Um, we've got uh, Jim Manis uh, with Shore Industries. And, and uh, you know, again, a, a, a number of other master trainers all coming together to focus on what is the appropriate real need training facility facilitation that's required to go to a million training at 1 million workers a year. So again, let's look at their practice, the commitment, um, the eagerness for people to engage. How do we understand what the prior knowledge and experiences in cleaning? How do we create an environment where people want to be on a pathway of continuous improvement? How do we emphasize that everyone should be asking um, the why behind cleaning for health actions so that no matter how varied your, your experience is, your background, or even the work environment you're in, you, that every, we, want, we want one million workers every year to be trained to ensure they have the skills and the knowledge to make informed decisions to keep themselves, uh, their co-workers, and everyone who uses that built environment safe and healthy. Are we there? No, but wouldn't it be great if that was our, our mission? Our mission was to go where we are today, our baseline, what we do every year, 
amongst all our different organizations and say, collectively, could we come together as a team, as a coalition, and train 1 million workers a year? And again, the OSHA grant that ISSA was awarded uh, you know, at the end of last year is going to help us do that. Um, starting in January, from January to September 2023, we're going to focus on conducting uh, at least 30 face-to-face workshops um, amongst the 20 master trainers. That will help us go to scale. What comes, you know, help us from lessons learned there, what are the next steps? How many more facilities do we need? How many more training areas do we need? How many, how many more trainers do we need? You know, what, what does the curriculum look like? And I think we'll get there. It'll take a little bit of time. It'll take a little bit of work, but it's going to take a, a, a team effort to get to 1 million workers. That should be our, 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 our mission right now. About five minutes ago in that answer, you, you had mentioned the word essential. And I know essential personnel is a, a sticking point with the cleaning industry because, you know, when COVID-19 hit, you know, hospitals and, and important facilities that had to stay open could only allow essential people to pass curfews and things like that. And the cleaning staff weren't included in that. Do you see that changing? It will. It will. It will. It will, Lance, because it's based on personal experiences. And, uh, and I'll tell you about my personal experience. We go back to April 2020 uh, here in Washington, D.C. We had started probably, I think it was the first week of April, a curfew at eight o'clock. And I was in a hospital training cleaning staff in a hospital on how to clean for this new infectious disease, SARS-CoV-2 virus, COVID-19. And I came out of the hospital around about quarter past eight. The curfew had started at eight and I was stopped by two policemen. And they said, what are you doing on the street? And I said, I work in the hospital. And I said, here's my hospital ID card. And on the back of it, it says, I'm an essential employee and here's my emergency pass. And I looked over my shoulder and there was 15 cleaning professionals coming out of the hospital, the people I had just trained. And I went, oh, bugger, they don't have what I have. They don't have one of these passes. And I said to the police officer, they're all with me. And he said, all of them? I said, yeah, they're all with me. And I sat around that night and went, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Because you can't go into a dirty hospital in the middle of a pandemic. You can't go into a dirty airport. You can't go into a dirty hotel. And we have really started now on both at the federal government level as well as the state level to ensure that cleaning professionals make that essential employee list. I do as an infectious disease expert, but... That's that's not what we what we want to do here. We want to ensure that everyone that we advocate for and represent is on that list, so they can continue doing their work on a daily basis when there's a disaster, an emergency, or or other other sort of you know critical situation. And and I can say right now that's not in place. So let's go back to this, Lance. If we want to train a million people, which we will do, keep that as our focus. What else do we have to do? Well. As a sidebar, we have to advocate for people, both at the federal and state government levels, down to the local level, government level as well, to be considered as essential employees. And the only way we can do that is with an appropriate workforce development program by showing the curriculum, by demonstrating the learning objectives, by demonstrating the skills, the knowledge and the abilities these people will have and do have and do it in a way that's formalized. And I think this is the, the real big opportunity for all of us at the moment to do a formal workforce development program that we can defend, but we can say we're doing this based on science and evidence, and it's going to protect 
their health and their safety, as well as that of the environment they clean every day. Let's, let's talk about the word scale again that you mentioned. This is not just a problem for the U.S. This is a worldwide issue. I mean, you're talking about airports, you know, means of transportation, cruise ships, hospitals. This is all over. I mean, do you see any kind of headway in the rest of the planet? Yes, it is. And we're seeing some parallels from other industries, lands that we could actually look at as models. Um, so again, if you, you know, I would like to, to have a formal program in place where cleaning professionals are acknowledged as professional tradesmen or tradespeople. And, you know, the plumbers, the electricians, the plasterers, you know, are all recognized as being a trade. Cleaning is a trade. I would, I would go back even further than that. You know, you look at in places like Europe, UK, Australia, Southeast Asia, looking at programs for, for, for recognizing trades. How do they do it? How do we get the cleaning professionals to be recognized as, as, as a trade? How do we get uh, appropriate courses into community colleges or even universities? Um, one of the examples I use quite often, though, Lance, is the stop and go sign, guys, on construction work on roads. Now, internationally, as well as in many states um, in the country here, you have to go through a formal training program to be able to hold a stop and go sign. And it's a formal workforce development program. And I went, gosh, if the stop and go sign guy or lady or person has to go through and do a formal training, then that's a really good model for us to look at and say, well, how do we take that back to the clean industry and go, where is the formal workforce development program here? And that gives me a lot of optimism, a lot of hope that we can achieve this. Um, but it's going to, again, take a, take a team. And we've started that, you know, again, working with Normie, CPI, Shaw, and many other uh, stakeholders within the clean industry, starting to build up what does that master trainer look like? Uh, there's ma 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 that cohort of master trainers. And then, again, sit down and look at what are the key learning objectives that are needed to get us recognized as being professionals. But, you know, we, should be, we should be recognized as a trade. I, I thoroughly believe that. And with that, we need to have formalized training, maybe even annual compliance training. I don't know whether it's out there at the moment for the clean industry, but what does annual compliance training look like if we're going to be using products, chemistry in, in, in disinfectants and cleaning products, as well as equipment that can do, both do, do good and harm? Um, that's so important that we, we, we continue as a team to advocate for that. You know, several years ago when COVID first came on the scene, and I know it's been around a lot longer, but when it became an issue in a pandemic, a lot of tragedy came out of this, but a lot of good discussions did too. And a lot of changes to an industry that desperately needed recognition, changing and understanding. I think there's hope moving forward. Oh, oh Lance, it's, it's exciting. And in my career, I've done it previously in other um, other infectious diseases programs I've worked in, in other sectors I've worked in, both in government and non-government, um, do I think it's doable? I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw a number out there to train a million people in a year if I didn't think it was realistic. And I really do think it's, it's a realistic, doable, achievable goal that we all should have as an industry and sit down as a team to work out what it needs to go to scale. What are the moving parts? What are the elements that need to be put in place to make that happen? But I think all of us collectively as a clean industry should say, let's, let, let's go for it. Let's go and train a million people 
in a year and be able to do it the next year and the year after. And then once we get that number, we might sit back and go, okay, how do we do better than that? You know, if we can only get you to become a little bit more passionate about this, you know, it might drive a little faster. Well, it, it, it's interesting, Lance. I, I, as an, you know, as a, as an epidemiologist, you know, working in infectious diseases, um, you know, both for government and, and, and for the private sector for many years, to think that I've now come over into the clean industry, which I didn't know a lot about a few years ago. I've learned a few things. I continue to learn things every day, but I see so much opportunity for this industry. And that's what's that's what excites me. I think, first of all, recognition. Everyone's got to be recognized for the hard work they do every day. Um, recognition for the science that goes into the development of our cleaning products, our disinfectants, um, the active ingredients, the science behind that, get, 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 get that recognized. Recognition for the tools that we have available for all of us to clean. Um, yeah, again, cleaning for health and the tools that we use for that. So more importantly, it's about being a good advocate, a big, you know, being a, a steward at the moment for everyone in the clean industry to get that recognition I think they deserve. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I do what I do right now, Lance, because I don't think it's there. And I think that's something that I could be successful at helping at, but not just me on my own. It's going to take a, a team and working with people like Doug and yourself to get that to get that hap- to get that to happen. Hey, Gavin, as always, it's, it's a pleasure talking to you. It's extremely informative. It's fun. And uh, I appreciate you spending the time here with us. No, I really appreciate it. And just appreciate what you, you and Normie are doing right now for the industry. It's fantastic, Lance. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. And we'll do this again. Be more than happy to. All righty. Take care. Bye now.